This is the fifth tape in a six-tape series that I have entitled, You've Already Got It. And uh, we've already been teaching on this from Ephesians chapter 1. I taught that you've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings, that you have the same power in you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You already have everything. And so why do we keep asking for what we already have? I laid a foundation to basically explain that we need to quit asking God for things and start believing and receiving what he's already given us. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we talked about by grace are you saved through faith. And we talked about this relationship between grace and faith, that faith only appropriates what God has already provided by grace. Well, that's a powerful statement. That's so easy to say, but there is so much information, so much revelation in that statement that it takes the Holy Spirit to just explain that, to make it clear. We also talked about in the third tape about how everything that God has already done is in the spirit realm. And it is our responsibility to bring it from the spiritual world into the physical world. Now, it's God's power. It's his ability, but it's working in us. And we have to believe, God, there is also a resistance of the devil. Satan is the one who hinders what God has already provided for us from coming into physical manifestation. Then on our last tape, we talked about spiritual warfare. Since Satan is a factor, what kind of factor is he? And I explained some things that I believe spiritual warfare is one of the greatest abuses in the body of Christ that there is today. And that it has served a purpose in pointing out that there is a warfare, but they have basically said that it is like a physical confrontation to where we are physically doing battle with the devil against his powers and against his authority, and that's just not true. Satan's only power is deception. That's the reason that if you know the truth, the truth sets you free because Satan's only power is lack of truth or deception. So we dealt with that, and uh, I tell you, uh, I could spend a lot more time talking about each one of those areas, but today I want to move on and talk about do we need more faith. This is one of the common statements in the body of Christ. I have people all of the time when I'm preaching on faith and talking about what will happen if you believe God I have people come up and say, oh, I know that it works. I just need more faith. Could you pray for me that I'd have more faith? Or often I hear the prayers of people where they are actually crying out to God for more faith. And I don't believe that that's accurate. And this fits perfectly with this whole set that we've been doing about you've already got it. So quit trying to get it. You already have faith. It is not a matter of not having faith. It's a matter of not knowing what we've got, not learning how to use it, and cooperating with those laws. Let's take a passage of Scripture out of Luke chapter 17. This is Jesus teaching his disciples, and he had been teaching on a number of different things. But in verse 3, Luke 17, 3, he said, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And in verse 5, the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Now this is just a side note. It's not exactly the point I'm going to be making on this uh, tape. But this is interesting here because Jesus had raised people from the dead, had seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open had uh, done things that nobody else had ever done. And 
when all of these miracles took place, the disciples didn't say increase our faith. The thing that caused them to say increase our faith is when he was talking about how that you have to forgive a person seven times in a day. If he wrongs you and then comes and asks for forgiveness, and uh, you're, you're supposed to forgive him. And that occasion, the disciples saying increase our faith. And one of the points that I want to make is that faith is not only for seeing the great miraculous healings, or when you're in a financial crisis or something like that, but personal relationships, being able to turn the other cheek, love people, forgive them, as he's talking about here. That is one of the greatest demands on your faith that you will ever have. If people think that faith is only for those impossible situations that you get into, where the doctor tells you you're going to die or you're facing bankruptcy, They've totally missed it. Yes, it applies in those situations, but you need faith for everyday relationships, the people that you work with, family members, children, parents, husband, wife. And this is what occasioned these disciples. They were so overwhelmed at what he was saying that you had to turn around and forgive seven times in one day if you were asked to. They said, Lord, increase our faith. And look at the Lord's answer in Luke chapter 17, verse 6. He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou cast into the sea or be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Now this looks in a sense like he didn't answer their question. They said, increase our faith. And he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could do this. You know what he's telling them is, guys, you don't need more faith. You don't have a faith problem. It's just that you aren't using the faith that you've got. He likened it. He says, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, most of you uh, probably haven't seen a grain of mustard seed, but I have some. And I mean, it is so tiny that when you hold it between your thumb and index finger, it's hard to even tell that you've got anything there. It is tiny. It's one of the smallest seeds that there is. And he says, if your faith is only this much, the size of a mustard seed, you could say unto this tree, be planted into the sea and it would obey you. In other words, you don't need big faith. You don't need more faith. You need to use what you have. And this is a concept that most Christians don't have today. Most Christians believe that faith works. They just believe that they've got a deficiency of faith. And again, this goes back to what I taught on our last tape. That is a deception of the devil. Satan has blinded us to what we already have. On this tape, I'm going to be showing that we have the same amount and quality of faith as Jesus had when he walked on this physical earth. It's already on the inside of every born-again believer. And Satan has lied to people, and they don't believe that. They believe that faith works. They just don't think that they have it. They think that faith comes and goes. Sometimes it's strong. Sometimes it's weak. It's like you don't have a handle on it. You can't grab it. You can't hold it. You can't control it. It's an intangible. Well, that is a totally wrong attitude about faith. We're going to be teaching some things from God's Word that will come against the deception of the devil, the lies of the devil, and will show you that you have more than enough faith. You just need to use it. So that's what Jesus was telling them in verse 6. He says, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Then he gives a parable. 
And if you understand what I just said about verse 6, about how you've already got it, you just need to use what you've got, then this parable makes sense. If you try and apply this parable in any other way, it doesn't make sense. The context dictates the meaning of this parable. In verse 7, he says, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I throw not, which is old English for saying, I don't think so. No, that's not the way it works. In verse 10, So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. In a nutshell, what I believe he's saying about this parable is it's like faith. you got enough faith. If your faith is only as big as a mustard seed, it's enough to cast a tree into the sea. It's not a problem with faith. You need to use what you've got, just like a person with a servant. If you had a servant and yet you came in and you sat down and you served yourself and you did all of these things yourself and you didn't ask your servant because you didn't want to impose on him. After all, he had been working during the day and he needed rest. Well, see, that's not the attitude that you have with a servant. In our touchy-feely, political, correct world today, Uh, You know, most people would say, well, you shouldn't even treat a servant that way. But in the day and time that the Bible was written, that Jesus was talking, slavery was an evident thing, and it was just a fact of life. And I guarantee you, if you had a slave, you used him. You didn't let him lay around and do nothing all day because you didn't want to impose on him. You wanted to be kind and gentle. And No, that's not the way that you did it. You used a servant. And that servant, even if he'd been out working all day, when he came in, he still had to serve you and take care of your needs before he took care of his needs. Nobody would have thought of using a slave in, in, you know, that way, where you just let him work an hour a day and say, I don't want to impose on you. Would you please go do that? That's not the way you talk to a slave. You don't have to be mean, but you do give orders. You are the master, they're the slave. And he's basically using this as an example about faith. That faith needs to be used. We're pampering it. It's like taking a slave and letting him sit on the couch and do nothing. Watch television all day long and become a couch potato. And get tired and weak and where his muscles atrophy. And then we wonder why he isn't doing anything. It's because we hadn't put him to work. He's not being used. We need to start using faith the way that a master would use a slave. It's not a matter of not having the slave. It's a matter of not using what we've got. We do have faith. It's a matter that the body of Christ hasn't known that they have faith. You know, if I was to go up to most people listening to this tape, and if I was talking to you in person, and if I started giving some testimonies about what faith has accomplished, seeing the dead raised, blind eyes open, great miracles, many of you would say, well, yes, I believe that those things happen. But then I'd say, well, then you pray for it. And it's not that you doubt that God can do it. It's not that you doubt my word that I've seen it come to pass. But you would doubt because you just don't feel like you have the faith. You don't doubt that faith works. It's just that you don't feel equipped. And I could talk most people listening to this tape into saying, oh, man, I just need more faith and start praying and asking God for faith. That would violate everything I've been teaching in this series. 
You already have faith. You already have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. You do not have a faith problem. you got a knowledge problem. You don't know what you've got, and you don't know the laws that govern how faith works. Let me just share some more scriptures on this and try and prove this to you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, I've already used this verse on our second tape in this series, but I want to bring a different point out in it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, you could interpret this verse in at least two ways when it says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That 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 it's speaking of could be talking about your salvation, that it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and that's true. But it also could be talking about the faith that you used for salvation is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now, that is an established principle in Scripture. It's just as clear. In Romans chapter 10, let me just read to you this passage of Scripture. It's familiar to most people. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, or verse, um, let me see then, in verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. In verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now that passage of Scripture makes it very clear that faith comes by hearing and that you cannot believe, you can't believe unless you hear the word of God. And so this is saying that the faith that it takes to receive salvation comes by hearing God's words. Here's the way I like to picture this is that If you could just use your imagination and like every word that comes out of my mouth or out of your mouth, out of anybody's mouth, it's like a container. I can use my words and I can say things that will build you up and encourage you and I can bring you to tears with joy just saying nice things and praising you and doing something like that. Or I can say things that will bring you to tears uh, for anger, grief, hurt, pain, Your words contain power in them. Another way of saying that is that your words either contain faith or unbelief. And this is especially true of God. God can bring judgment on a person, but most of his words are faith-filled. And in those words that have come out of his mouth, they're just like little containers that contain faith. And you cannot believe God for salvation without having God's word bring you faith. You have to use a supernatural faith to be born again. You know, when I was brought up, I was brought up in church. I got born again when I was eight years old. So I've grown up in church. And one of the examples that they used to use trying to illustrate and talk about faith was that they took a chair and they put a chair there and they said, now it's faith to sit in this chair. They were talking about how everybody's got faith. You use faith all of the time. They said it's faith to sit in a chair. How do you know that this chair is going to hold you up? 
And they would use that as an example of faith, how we use faith. They would say it's a, it's faith to go through an intersection when you have a green light. You are using faith that people on the other side are going to stop at a red light. They said it's faith to sit in an airplane and to fly someplace. You don't know what makes an airplane work. You don't know the pilot. How do you know these things? You are doing things that involve faith. Well, I will admit that that is a degree of faith, but it's a human faith. I believe that we were created in God's image, and God created us faith beings. And so every person, saved or non-saved, has faith in them because that was a part of God and it's a part of us. But I'm saying that that type of faith, to sit in a chair, to fly in an airplane, to go through an intersection, that is a human faith that is based on what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You know, if you were to start getting on an airplane and uh, if you heard terrible noises in the engine, if you saw an engine catch fire and things like this, and then it started taxiing down the runway and they were going to take off, you would say something about it because your sense knowledge would say, no, this is not going to work. And you would say something about it and you would do what you could to stop that thing. If you started through an intersection, you usually glance to see, are the other people stopped? And if you saw somebody come barreling, then it looked like they were going to go through. I guarantee you, you would stop. I would, even at a green light, if I saw somebody coming the other direction. And when it comes to sitting in a chair, if you saw that chair, you know, it's supposed to have four legs and it only had three and the thing was falling over and it looked like it was about to fall apart. You wouldn't sit in a chair because of your sense knowledge. All of those examples I gave are an example of a human faith that is based on something physical, tangible, that you can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. But when it comes to believing God for the forgiveness of your sins, you have to believe in things that you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. You've never seen God, and you've never seen the devil. You've never seen heaven. You've never seen hell. You've never seen a sin. Now, you've seen people commit sins, but I mean, what does a sin look like? What part of your body does it enter into? What is it? See, you can't see sin, and you can't see when sin is erased. And yet, you have to believe in all of those things. You have to believe in God and the devil, heaven and hell, sin and sins being forgiven. You have to believe in things that you cannot see. And the only way you can do that is with a supernatural faith, a God kind of faith. Look at this passage of Scripture over in Romans chapter 4, and in verse 17 it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now this is talking about God and his faith, and it says God quickens or makes alive the dead, and calls things that be not as though they were. In other words, God's kind of faith is not limited to some physical proof. He says things before there is any visible proof. In this exact instance, in Romans chapter 4, it's talking about Abraham and how his name was changed from Abram, which meant prince, to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. And God called him a father of many nations before he had many nations. In other words, that was an example. God says things when there is no physical proof, no physical evidence. That's God's kind of faith. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth and said, Let there be light. And there was light. 
And then later, days later, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created light before there was a source for those lights to for that light to come from. Now I don't know how all of that works and some people have got other theories, but my point is that God isn't limited. God's faith is not limited to the way we are. Like for instance, go back to this example of sitting in a chair. Salvation would be comparable to having a person come up and sit in a chair that they couldn't see. And you know what? With a human faith, a person just would not do that. They would not put themselves in a position where they're going to fall and hurt themselves if they couldn't see or feel something. And yet, when it comes to believing God for the forgiveness of our sins, you had to believe in things that you couldn't see. Now, how could you do that? You can't do it with just a human faith. You not only can't save yourself, that salvation is of God, But the faith that it takes to believe for salvation is also of God. And where does it come from? Like it says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is why the scriptures say over in 1 Peter 1, and verse 23, We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You have to be born again by God's word. Why? Because God's word contains his faith, the faith that it takes to believe that your sins are forgiven, to believe that God became flesh and actually died and suffered our punishment. You can't believe that with just human faith. You have to receive that from God. And so God's word brings his faith. And when you got born again, here's my main point I'm trying to get across that the faith you used for salvation wasn't your faith. It wasn't just human faith. It was God's supernatural faith that was given unto you. You were born again by not just putting faith in God, but you were born again by the faith of God. Well, that's a powerful statement. We were so destitute that we not only couldn't save ourselves, but we also couldn't even believe that our sins had been forgiven. We had to have that good news come to us and take the faith of God out of that and use it for our salvation. Well, that's powerful. Look at this passage of Scripture over in Galatians chapter 2. And in verse 16, he says, "...knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus." Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now notice in verse 16, twice it says this, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Not just faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we put faith in what Jesus did for us, but we also have to use the faith of Jesus Christ to be justified. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by just faith in Christ, but we used his faith to put faith in what he did. Well, those are powerful statements. And then in verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Notice he didn't say I'm living by faith in the Son of God. I'm not saying that that's wrong. There are times that you talk about putting faith in God, but he says I am living by the faith of the Son of God. Now, I'm aware that some translations, different translations, say this differently, but I believe that this is the actual accurate translation. Again, in verse 16 and verse 20 here of Galatians chapter 2, three different times Paul talks about having the faith of Christ, not just faith in Christ. Now, this is very important. Going back to our original statement about do we need more faith, Jesus said, no, you just need to use what you've got. What you've got's enough to see a sycamine tree plucked up and planted into the sea. If you just use it, use what you've got. And so what kind of faith do you have? Well, you had to be born again by grace through faith. And that faith wasn't your faith. It wasn't human faith. It was the supernatural faith of God. Since it's his faith, it has the potential to accomplish anything that Jesus accomplished. And that's the reason that the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. How can we do the works that Jesus did? Right now, let's not even talk about greater works. How do you just do the works that Jesus did? Seeing all of these miracles and words of knowledge and wisdom and compassion and forgiving and turning the other cheek. How can you do those same things? It's because you have the same faith that Jesus used to accomplish those things. Since it's not your faith, since it's his faith, it's capable of doing anything that he is capable of doing. You know, if you just understood that one point that I've made right here, this would radically change your life it would immediately begin to start changing your hope, your expectancy, because you would begin to start expecting more. If you have the same faith that Jesus had, well then, praise God, you can do the same works that Jesus did. But see, most people don't even embrace that. Most people just say things like, well, you know, I'm only human. I'm just a man. We've got a song that goes one day at a time, sweet Jesus. And it starts by saying, I'm only human. I'm just a man. See, that's stinking thinking. That's wrong. I'm not only human. I'm not just a man. I was only human, but I got born again, and there's a part of me that is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. There's a part of me that has the faith of the Son of God, and for me to say I'm only human is wrong. I am not only human. There's a part of me that's human and that is capable of failure and everything that anybody else is capable of. But there is a part of me that is born again and has the faith of the Son of God in it. And if I was just conscious of that and stayed focused on that, that would instantaneously, automatically dictate that there's going to be a difference in what I'm believing for. If I really believed that I had the potential on the inside, I wouldn't put up with the defeat and the failure and the discouragement and the mundane life that a lot of people go through. Man, there is a difference on the inside. You've got to understand that you have the faith of the Son of God. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 3, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man 
the measure of faith. Notice again, it didn't say that he has dealt to every man a measure of faith, but he dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, here's an example, a picture that will help you to understand this. If, say, for instance, we were in a soup line, and I'm the one that's serving up the soup, and all of these people were coming by, and if you had a bowl, everybody had a bowl, and if I was using one ladle, I was using the same ladle for everybody, that would be the measure. And if I dipped into the soup and poured it out, every person would get the measure, not a different measure. But see, if I had different measures, if I had a ladle, and then I had a teaspoon, and then a tablespoon, and you know, and then a little eyedropper, and if I used different measures, well, then that would mean that when people come by, it would depend on what measure I give them. Some people might get a lot. Some people might get less. But if I only had one measure, then everybody came by would get the measure. That's what it's talking about. And this is saying that God has dealt to every man. The context dictates that this is talking about every born-again believer. The measure of faith. God didn't give me great faith and somebody else little faith and all of these kind of things. No, there's only one measure of faith. This whole concept of having big faith and little faith is not a scriptural concept. Now, I know that some of you can think of a couple of scriptures. I'm going to mention those in just a second. Hold on to that thought. But let me just say that it is not true that some people have big faith and some people have little faith. You know, I I saw a program once on the 700 Club where Reinhard Bonnke was being interviewed. And Reinhard Bonnke is a German. He's been a powerful evangelist, a healing evangelist. And our day has seen crowds of well over a million at one time. And God has just used him tremendously. And he was talking about many of these miracles and talking about all of this. And uh, anyway, they they asked the um, audience if they had any questions. And they asked some questions, and one of those questions was, uh, why do you see so many more miracles happen overseas than you see happen in the United States? Is it because they have more faith? And see, because I I was aware of what I'm talking about right here, I immediately perked up, and I wanted to hear his answer. And it really blessed me what he said, because he said, you Americans are the only people I've ever encountered that have this concept of more faith. He says either a person believes or they don't believe. He says you don't have to have big faith. And he gave examples of people that had just heard for the very first time and received. And he says this whole concept of big faith and little faith is erroneous. It's wrong. And I really believe that. Now, some of you may say, but wait a minute. Over in the eighth chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus told this centurion who came and asked that he would heal his servant. And the centurion said, Uh, Lord, I don't need you to come under my house. You speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, when he heard this, he said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And so here Jesus talked about a great faith. And some people say, well, right there is a scriptural precedent. He says, I haven't seen, I haven't found so great a faith. In other words, there's a couple of things involved here. This is prior to the new birth. This is prior to the new covenant. And in the old covenant, it is true that people put faith in God. 
They were using a human faith put in the promises of God. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't help them and that God's word didn't bring them faith, but I'm saying it was different. It's in the new birth. You are born again through putting faith in the Lord in a way that an Old Testament person couldn't ever know. Also in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the scripture there says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. The Old Testament saints did not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a few people that on occasions would have the Holy Spirit, but they didn't have him dwell within us the way that we do in the New Covenant. So we have faith as a fruit of the Spirit. And so prior to Jesus dying for our sins and resurrecting from the dead and people being born again, it was a different way of them believing God. And so it's one thing for Jesus to say it to this centurion. But here's another way of looking at it. Even after the new birth, it is true that some people manifest great faith and other people manifest very little or no faith. But it is inaccurate to say that if you're born again, that some people just have little faith. No, some people only use a little bit of the faith that God has given them. There may be very little evidence and other people use more of it. But the truth is that every born again believer does have the faith of the Son of God. And that's what it's saying here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that God has dealt to every man, every born-again person, the measure of faith. Well, how much was that measure? Well, if you go back again to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, if Paul's measure was the faith of the Son of God, in other words, the faith of Jesus, if that's the faith that he was using and we all have the measure of faith, then guess what? That means that the faith that you and I have is the faith of the Son of God. Man, that is a powerful, powerful truth. You don't have a faith problem. You got a knowledge problem. You don't know what you have. And the first step is that you have to acknowledge the good things that are in you. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I pray that the communication of your faith would become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ. The way your faith begins to work is when you start acknowledging what you already have. Not asking God for more, not saying, Lord, increase our faith, but rather just using what you've got. You got born again and had a supernatural faith from God. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter said this in verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice Peter said that you have obtained like precious faith with him. Peter's faith was so strong that it saw Dorcas raised from the dead. In the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, fourth and fifth chapter, he would walk along and his shadow would touch people and they would be healed by just his shadow touching them. That kind of faith, that kind of power... He says, you have obtained like precious faith. 
And he says it's through the righteousness of God and our Savior. In other words, it's not by your good works. It's not because you've done this. It's just when you get born again, you obtain like precious faith. If some of you are saying, oh, I couldn't ever believe that I had the same faith that Peter had. Well, then just tear Second Peter out of your Bible because it's written to people who have like precious faith. If you aren't going to accept Second Peter 1, 1, then throw the rest of the book out. If you are going to accept it, then you have to accept that you have like precious faith with Peter. Man, that is a powerful truth. You don't have a faith problem. You do have the faith of the Son of God. You just need to exercise it. You know, in my own life, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, had this miraculous encounter with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968, I immediately, immediately had a quickening on the inside of me that I credit with the Holy Spirit. I just understood things. There was a passion a new revelation, a new motivation on the inside of me. And I immediately started believing God for things. And I started seeing people heal. We saw a woman that had cancer in the hospital healed. Uh, We saw sickness healed. We saw deafness healed. And just other things started happening. Now, I didn't see it happen very often. I prayed for a lot of people, and I was seeing a small percentage of people heal. But immediately... My faith began to work, and I became aware that faith was a powerful, powerful force. But I didn't understand what I've been telling you right here, and I began to start seeking and asking God for more faith and more faith and more faith, and I was becoming frustrated. And when the Lord showed me this truth that I'm telling, it just made a huge difference in my life. Instead of spending my time asking God to give me more faith, I started thanking him and acknowledging what I already had. And I started delving into the word of God, not to get faith, but rather to understand what I had and to learn how faith operated. I began to start studying faith and the laws that govern faith. Now, there's a difference between those two. I don't know if you got that. See, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I'm not going to... get into strife with anybody over the way they interpret that. But I believe that that is talking about when you get born again. The faith that it takes to get born again comes through the Word of God. And then after you're born again, you already have the supernatural faith of the Son of God. You don't need to get more faith. You don't study the Bible to get more faith. You studied the Word or you listened to the Word and heard it and received faith in those words that came unto you. And so that's the way that you received it for salvation. When you study the Bible as a Christian, faith is already present. What you are studying is to learn how faith operates. You you study scriptures like what we've already talked about to believe that I have the same precious faith that Peter had. And therefore, anything that Peter saw happen, I can see happen. It encourages you and it gives you information and knowledge. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say right here in Second Peter chapter 1, we just read verse 1 and verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. 
Well, faith is certainly one of those all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and it says it comes through the knowledge of him. And in verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. This knowledge gave us great and precious promises, which is the Word of God. So the Word of God gives you knowledge. If you're unsaved, hearing the Word of God brings faith to you, and if you will accept it, then you can receive salvation using that faith that came through God's Word. After you're born again, you already have faith on the inside of you. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But reading the Word of God will give you knowledge of what you had. And it'll teach you how faith works so that you can benefit from it completely. So the first point I'm wanting to get across on this tape is that you do have the supernatural faith of the Son of God. But here's another point. Since it's God's faith, it has to follow His rules. You can't use God's faith for your own thing. It's not yours. It's God's faith. You, in a sense, are borrowing, are using this supernatural faith. And the only way it's going to produce is if you use it the way that God wants you to use it. It's not yours. You know, some people will say, well, I'm of the Baptist faith, and others, I'm of the Methodist faith, or I'm of the Episcopal faith, as if there are different faiths. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's, it's God's faith. And you can't just choose to say, well, here's the way I'm believing. Well, if you're believing wrong, it won't work. you got to use that faith the way God wants you to use it, because it is not your faith, it's not human, it is supernatural faith. Let me share this passage with you out of Romans chapter 3 and in verse 27. It says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm taking a point here that is not the main point that's being made in Romans chapter 3, but it's still true. This is still a true statement. It talks about a law of faith. You know, when you use that term law, it's like the law of gravity or the law of aerodynamics. There are certain laws that God created. And when we use the word law in that sense, what we're saying is that it's a constant. It never fluctuates. There is no variation in it whatsoever. It is constant. And it's also universal. It's something that is... It applies everywhere. For instance, here I am in Colorado, and I'm using the law of gravity to sit in a chair. But if over in China, you know, there wasn't gravity, well, then we wouldn't call it a law. It would be a phenomenon. But if it's a law, it's something that is constant, and it's also universal or all around the earth. It's the same. And so that's what, when we're talking about the law of faith, there are constants there are laws that govern. It's the same for everybody. And this is another concept, see, that most people don't have. They don't look at faith as being governed by law. They think that faith, if they just ask God for something and believe God for it, well, then God could do whatever he wants to. They don't understand that there are restrictions that God has placed on himself. Now, I know that this is really going to bother some people's theology, but it's the truth. You know what? God created natural laws. For instance, that law of gravity. And if, you know, if a person was going to walk off the Empire State Building, jump off, well, God doesn't want to see them dead. 
God's not wanting to punish them. But you know, that law of gravity that he created will kill them. It'll cause them to die. Now, God doesn't want them to die. So what does he do? Does he suspend the law of gravity? Well, no, he can't do that. I get. I don't know that it's right to say he can't. I'm saying that God won't do that because if he suspended the law of gravity, he might save that one person who jumped off of the Empire State Building, but he would destroy millions and millions of other people who were depending on gravity to drive their car, to fly a plane, to run, to do something. And instantly they they flew off the road. Things happened. People would die. God's not going to suspend the law of gravity. It's governed by laws. It's constant. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't change. God doesn't want to see people killed by gravity, but they will be if they violate its laws. Well, God doesn't want to see us die of sickness, and he doesn't want us to fail financially and to have emotional problems and stuff, but there are laws that govern faith is what this is talking about. There is the law of faith. And if we don't learn how faith operates and what those laws are, and if we don't begin to cooperate with them, those laws of faith will kill us just the same as the law of gravity kills us when we violate it. Boy, to me, that is an awesome truth. And there are very few people who see it this way. There's people who just pray and they think, you know what, if God wanted to, he could heal me. And they don't understand that there are laws that govern how faith works, how God's power operates. And God can't just go to violating his laws. That's against his nature. He's a holy, righteous God. When he says something, that's the way that it is. And he's not going to change and just because of your whims and things like this. There are people who die who God loves. I mean infinitely. He loves with all of his heart. It is not God's will for them to die, but they die because they violate laws. For instance... One of those laws, and there are literally dozens that I could mention. I'm not just going to have time to mention a couple of things, but one of those laws is that you will have what you say. Over in Proverbs chapter 18 and in verse 20, it says this, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now this is a powerful passage. It says death and life are in the power of your tongue. This is a law of faith. God created the worlds by faith is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. He spoke the worlds into existence. He created everything physical, natural, that we can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. It was all created by words. Words are what frame this universe. Words are what holds this universe together is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And if God was to violate his words, his laws that he created, well then the whole thing would self-destruct. It's held together by the power of God's word. And so God has laws. There is power in words. And we speak words. This is one thing that sets the human creation apart from the animal plant creation is that we speak words. In that sense, that is God-like. Words have the ability to create. There is power in words. And this is one of the laws of faith that you will have what you say. It just We just quoted that over in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Here's Jesus reinforcing that exact same point in Mark chapter 11. He had just spoken to a fig tree, and he commanded the fig tree to die and wither, and no man would eat fruit of it forever. And uh, in the morning, the disciples saw that the fig tree had withered away, and they were amazed. And they said, Lord, look what happened to the fig tree. And the Lord said unto them in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, he says, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice the emphasis here. Three times it says, you will have what you say, whosoever shall say. See, this is one of the laws that govern faith. Faith is released by words. There is death and life in the power of the tongue. Not just life only, but death and life. So here's an application of what I'm trying to say. If you are born again, you do have the faith of the Son of God, but most people don't know it, and so therefore they certainly aren't going to use it if they don't know it. Even some people who believe they have it still may not see it work properly because they don't understand these laws that govern it. For instance, if a person is told by the doctor that they're going to die, and they know that God has already healed them, and they are trying to believe God for it, but then if their words are contrary to what they're trying to believe, well then death and life, you could say death or life, is in the power of the tongue. It depends on what you say. If somebody says, well, what do the doctor say? Well, I'm going to die. I've only got a week to live. And if everything you say is death, and talking about, oh, I know I'm going to die, and you start planning your funeral, and you start wailing and travailing and getting into grief, and stuff. You are releasing death out of your mouth. And even though you have the faith of the Son of God on the inside of you, it will not be released through words of death. But instead, what Satan wants to do will be released through those words of death. Man, that's a powerful truth. And I know that there are people listening to me who have heard the faith movement, the confession movement, whatever you want to call it, the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I've heard so many different terminologies applied to this. You've heard that message, and it was presented in an extreme, and and people were condemned with it, that if they ever said something like, oh man, that tickles me to death, somebody would just jump up and go to condemning them. You're going to die because you said that tickled me to death. Well, that's an extreme thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made. It has to be from the heart. When a person is saying it tickles me to death, they, it's, a, and it's an expression. Now, you could debate whether it's a good expression. I'm not saying that we ought to go around saying things like that, but the reason everybody doesn't drop over dead when they say something tickled me to death is because that's not what they meant with their heart. It's a slang. It's an expression. And sometimes it hasn't been presented properly and it's been abused. And so because of this, uh, the confession message has gotten a black eye. And some people see this as a very condemning type of thing. And I'm aware that those things have happened. But I haven't got time to sit here and talk against all of the abuses and the weirdness and the way people have used it. I'm saying that regardless of how it's been misrepresented, there is still a truth here. There is a kernel of truth that is a law of God 
that you have to learn and abide by. And there are many Christians who are missing out on what God has already provided for them in the Spirit because they aren't using their words properly. You have to speak life instead of death. Also, going back to Mark chapter 11, verse 23, notice here, you not only have to say your faith, but it says in Mark 11:23, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. You not only have to speak your faith, but it said speak to your mountain, not speak to God about your mountain. Now, the mountain here is talking about your problem, whatever the thing is that you're wanting to see changed. You need to talk to it and not talk to God about your mountain. Most Christians will go to God and say, Oh, God, I'm sick. Oh, God, please remove this sickness from me. That's in violation of what this scripture is is uh, telling us to do. We're talking to God about our mountain. Instead, it says, speak to your mountain. You have to talk to your sickness. You have to talk to your bills. Talk to your poverty. Talk to your depression. Talk to whatever it is that's the problem. And tell it that God has already set me free. Now, I use this and I command you to leave me alone. See, this implies in it uh, authority. There's so many things that we could deal with. I've got a tape entitled The Law of Faith. I've got a tape set on healing that will go into applications of this specifically on how you use it in healing. I just had not got time to do it right here. But you have to speak to your problem. Let me give you an example of this. I had a woman in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was staying with a couple. I showed them this video of Nikki Oshinsky, who is healed of fibromyalgia, And the woman that I was staying with had a friend who had that same thing. She invited her over. Anyway, I uh, didn't play the tape for her, but I told her about it. I prayed with her. I commanded all pain to leave her body, and boom, pain was instantly gone. This woman started praising God. But then she says, but I, I still have a burning right down across my waist in the back. And she says, why do I still have pain? after? I mean, after all the pain's gone, why do I still have this burning? And I said, I use Mark eleven twenty three. I says, the Bible says you have to speak to your mountain. And I said, I didn't know that you had a burning. You told me you had pain throughout your body. So I spoke to pain. And I said, now watch this. I'm going to speak to burning. And I commanded that burning to leave. And when I did, boom, it was gone. So this woman started praising God. I taught her how to stand on it, what to do if a symptom came back. And anyway, within about 20 minutes, as she was getting ready to leave, she says, I've got that burning back. And I said, well, I've just taught you how to do this. Now I want you to pray and you rebuke this. And I am not trying to be critical of this woman. Now, remember that just 30 minutes or so before, she had been an Episcopalian or or Presbyterian or something, and she had never heard of healing. And she thought it was God who made her sick. And so she came a long way in a short period of time. I'm not trying to criticize her, but she still wasn't accurate in her prayer. She started praying and she says, Father, I thank you that it is your will to heal me, that you have already healed me. By your stripes, I was healed. And I just claim my healing and I stand on it and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now that sounded pretty good, but I knew that she wasn't, that that burning didn't leave. So I asked her, I said, well, how do you feel? And she says, well, the burning is still there. And I said, do you know why? And she said, no. 
And I said, it's because you talk to God about your mountain instead of talking to your mountain about God. You didn't talk to it. And she says, what do you mean? I said, you didn't talk to that burning. She says, do you mean say burning and call it by name and talk to it? I said, yes, that's what you're supposed to do. Now, I know a lot of people think that's weird. But, you know, Jesus talked to a fig tree. It even says that he answered the fig tree and said, which means that the fig tree had been talking to him. Do you know what? Your checkbook will talk to you. Your checkbook will tell you that the word of God doesn't work. You're going to fail. It didn't work. Things will talk to you. So you got to talk to them. And so I told her, I said, talk to that burning. So she prayed again. And this time she said, burning in the name of Jesus. And when she she just stopped right there and she says, it's gone. The burning is gone. She didn't even get to command it just by addressing it and using her faith in the name of Jesus. Boom, it was gone. It was a great example of what I'm talking about. See, words are important. If you are going to speak death and discouragement and defeat and depression and then expect to receive blessing, it's not going to work. Because one of the laws that governs how faith works is that you have to speak life out of your mouth. And not only do you need to speak the right things, but you need to speak to the right things. You need to speak to your problem. You need to thank God that he's already done his part and then command those things to get in line. Command your body to quit hurting. Command that leg to straighten out. Command your finances to work. Take authority and command things. Command the devil to get off of your case. Speak against all of his things. And if you will do that, see, those are the laws that govern how faith works. So what I've tried to establish on this tape is that you do have the faith of the Son of God. It's just a matter of using what you already have. And then you have to learn how that faith operates. There's many, many things. You know, again, I can relate this to the law of electricity. God created the laws that govern electricity, and they've been here on the earth since day one, since the beginning of creation. People 4,000 years ago could have used electricity. It's not God who demanded that they not use it. The laws were there, but they were ignorant of those laws. And now that we've learned the laws of electricity, we use it. And you are using electricity to listen to this tape. I'm using electricity to make it. We use electricity all the time, and it's dependable. And you know what? It was there all along. And it wasn't because those people were bad people that they didn't use electricity. You know what? David in the Bible was a very godly man, but he didn't have electricity, not because of his sin or ungodliness. He just didn't know about it. If he would have known about it, he could have used electricity back then. There are people who die today, not because they're bad people, not because somehow or another God is against them. There are just laws that govern how faith works, how God's power flows. And you have to learn what those laws are and put them into practice. And until you learn, God is not going to change all of creation just because of you. He's not going to suspend gravity to save your life and kill millions of other people because gravity ceased to work all of a sudden. That's not the way that it works. You need to learn how faith works. You need to learn what are the laws that govern faith and then just put them into practice. And there's many of them. I've only talked about this thing about speaking, but there's many, many laws 
that are involved. And that's what studying the Word does. It teaches you. How did Jesus minister to people? Faith without works is dead. Actions is another very important part of your faith. And on and on. Forgiving other people. And you could just go on and on. There's many, many things involved. And that's what the study of God's Word does. It brings you the original faith when you get born again. But then after you're born again, what it does is teach you how faith works. And if you can believe that you have the same faith that raised Jesus Christ from the dead already dwelling on the inside of you, then the rest of it is just learning what are those laws. How does it work? On our next tape, I'm going to talk about unbelief and how unbelief short-circuits our faith. And I tell you, if you put these two together, it'll make a big, big difference in your life. 